Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Hello, good morning. How are you? Coming up today, what to expect in Budget 2022. Practically every single detail is now known. Even though nothing has been officially announced, it's all been leaked. How many people falsely claimed pandemic payments over the last 18 months? And how much will the taxpayer get back? And a six-year wait is over for Adele fans. Her new album lands on Friday. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. I'd love to hear from you today. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. It's all about the budget in the papers. It'll be all about the budget on the television and on the radio today. And unless Pascal Donoghue has a rabbit up his sleeve, there's not going to be much in the way of surprises. Practically all the detail is already out there. From the Irish Times, budget includes increase of five euro for welfare for all payments. And it also says the Christmas bonus will be paid in full as part of a multi-billion euro budget 2022 package. Uh, There are stories about old age pensioners where you can expect a 13 euro increase. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's not in the old age pension itself. That will go up by a fiver. But if you are in receipt of the living alone allowance, for instance... If you're receiving the fuel allowance, then combined, all of the different increases will amount to €13. So different measures, you'll have to add up which payments you're receiving and which apply then, uh, which increases apply to you. The Irish Independent has a different take. From pensioners, it looks at younger people. It says half price travel for the young. So... I'm not sure exactly what the thinking is here. Maybe it's a little bit of relief for students, and you've heard so much lately about the pressure of higher rents, higher food costs, higher energy costs. But there is going to be a concession on public transport for people under a certain age. That came out of nowhere, actually. But if you're not travelling on public transport and you're relying on your car, it says the cost of a full tank of petrol will go up by a euro and 28 cent. A tank of diesel will go up by 150. And those increases take effect from tonight. The consequence of that, by the way, comes from carbon taxes, which increase by 750 to 41 euro per tonne. Not sure how you work out per tonne, but put it this way. If you're filling your home heating tank, 900 litres will cost an extra 20 quid on that basis. So again, maybe get ordering quickly. That's what's going to happen. You'll see loads of people at the petrol pumps tonight, won't you? Where else will we go today? Inside the papers, the cost of the public service pay deal. If workers are to get back to the hours, the reduced hours they were on before the economic crash, 
it will cost us 300 million euro in health alone. And the HSE equates that to the loss of 1,700 nurses or 4,300 staff in total. So these are the sort of conundrums facing various ministers and various managers in the health service. Where will they find the extra 377 million euro, for instance, for the 10 days pandemic leave that has been promised as a reward to health staff? You know, for the last 18 months, billions and billions were being thrown around as if it was snuff at a wake and... Yeah, we're back to the penny pinching again now. I accepted, of course, that a couple of hundred million euros isn't exactly pennies. But if you're talking about rewarding staff for their extra contribution over the course of COVID-19, 377 million pales when you look at the cost of POP and all of these other payments. And on the subject of POP, we see in the Irish Independent from the entertainment sector examples of people who still rely on the pandemic payment. For instance, there are many pubs that are still operating on reduced capacities as a precaution. And even if on the 22nd of October, and fingers crossed it does happen in 10 days, the remaining restrictions are relaxed, there are many musicians who feel they're not going to be as busy as they were before the pandemic struck. So you're introduced to Gavin McCormick from Kildare. His wedding band is known as Sway Social. And he says the pandemic unemployment payment is still his main source of income. And his wife, Lisa, is currently out of work. So, yes, there will be examples, depending on the line of work you're in, where an extension to the pandemic payment will be needed. And you may have heard Leo Varadkar on the main morning news, the Tonish just said there will be no cliff edge for these payments and indeed for the wage subsidy schemes. Now, moving on to the COVID corner, very briefly, what's the latest news? There has been an increase in cases of late and the HSE is blaming weddings, hen parties and communions for these rising numbers. They conducted 100,000 tests over the last week and they have found a spike in the last five days which they put down to socialising. Wait until Christmas comes in that case. Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, he suggests face masks may remain in certain sectors beyond the 22nd of October. We already knew healthcare, for instance, was going to be one of those where face masks would remain mandatory. Well, it seems certain other environments are being considered. So don't just throw away that spare packet of face masks just yet. Sydney is celebrating Freedom Day. Now, Australia has had an unusual relationship with COVID-19, as indeed has New Zealand. They've very much tried the elimination strategy and for a long, long time it worked. But now they find themselves with low vaccination rates and uh, COVID still a problem, so much so that Sydney, the largest city in Australia, had to go back into a lockdown not so long ago. Now they're back out of it and they're celebrating. And, you know, thank heavens it's quite a while since we were in that sensation of lockdown and may we never go back there again fingers crossed different story completely then on the journal you read about a study from England about minimum alcohol pricing the effect of minimum pricing is well it makes drink dearer to buy and the thinking was if it's dearer to buy you won't consume as much and therefore you won't get yourself into trouble 
That's the theory, but in practice, researchers from the Manchester Metropolitan University, they looked at police Scotland data and they concluded it made no difference at all. By having minimum pricing, there were still as many public order disturbances and assaults and other alcohol-related crime, plenty of public nuisance. So in that respect, it didn't really work. That said, a different study in the Lancet Public Health Journal showed alcohol sales fell by 8% after minimum unit pricing was introduced. So yes, maybe some people drank less, but those who were prepared to cause trouble still caused trouble. Moving to the RTE Guide, because you see Claire Byrne on the front page, and she's been talking about the loss of her dad, which happened in County Leash over the course of the plan, and she had to deliver, uh, she had to stand at the front of the church in Mount Rath, massive, massive church, and she recalls just how unusual a sensation it was when she was looking out at so few people. This was when the funeral numbers were really, really restricted. And she said losing her father was like being hit by a train. And you reflect differently on everything in life when you lose a parent. Now that he's gone, it feels like you've lost a hero and a champion, somebody who thought whatever you did was right. Oh, indeed, if you have your dad in your life, if you have your mum in your life, cling to them and cherish them and don't take any moment for granted. We learn those lessons too late very often, don't we? Now, here's a rather quirky one for you. John Lewis, the department store in Britain. They say we are buying more comfortable clothes as a consequence of the lockdown. So... Fewer people are buying neckties. Yeah, they're ugh, always somewhat claustrophobic up around your neck. And also, people are buying fewer thongs. So they've looked at all the items that are popular now that were not popular a year ago, and they include tents and trampolines becoming far more... Well, I suppose you're at home. And when the kids were at school, or rather when the kids weren't at school, you had to come up with new means of entertaining them. So yes, camping out or getting them to bounce up and down on a trampoline. Any form of distraction at all, rather than homeschooling. But yes, no more thongs, except for this case in Belfast. Move to the sun and you read how a restaurant found an unusual item left behind following a steak dinner. So this was at Belfast's Top Blade Steakhouse, there was a couple sitting at table 17 at the weekend. And when the couple left, naturally they started to clean up. And underneath was a pair of black frilly knickers. No, they weren't black frilly knickers. It was a rather sexy looking thong. And, well, somebody obviously got lucky afterwards. But they posted on their Facebook page saying that uh, best tip ever, <laughs> a few people in response wondered could they book table 17. They also assured, because the picture they shared was of the knickers on a menu, that menus are binned after every customer. I wonder if you've worked in the restaurant business, what you have found left behind from time to time. I imagine hotels find far more interesting things. Anyway, final word on Adele's big comeback. 
You'll see many articles in the papers, indeed in many magazines at the moment, because Sony have done a fantastic job teasing this. Adele hasn't released material in six years. And when you think about it, Barack Obama was the president of the United States the last time she released music. So they bought out space on the Louvre in Paris, the Colosseum in Rome, the Tate Modern in London and the Empire State Building in New York. And illuminated on the side of these international landmarks is the number 30. The clue there is her previous albums had been titled 19, 21 and 25. So fans immediately got the hint. They didn't need anything more than the number 30 to conclude that Adele was making a comeback. And if that wasn't enough to tip you off, she's been doing interviews lately and Adele never does interviews. But we don't have any clue as to what the album will sound like other than Sony has spent £90 million signing Adele and they are going to get their money's worth. That's why they're building up the hype, the anticipation. And she'd better deliver. No doubt she will. Anyway... That's a sample of what's in your papers this morning. If there's a story affecting you or your area, WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. John in Moat says some garages were quick off the draw and raised the price of petrol and diesel by four cent a litre over the weekend. So the price of a tank jumps by two euro forty. And he said the cost of filling a tank went up 25 euro in the last year. Yeah, the barrel of crude oil, John, is north of 70 quid and nearly hit 80 quid, actually, recently, as far as I can recall. And what you will always find is the price goes up very, very quickly as crude oil climbs, but it descends ever so slowly when crude oil goes down in price. Funny how that happens, isn't it? Also, a listener says... I just called to fill up my car before the budget and noticed how unleaded had been 161.8 last night and 162.9 this morning before any sort of increase. Emer, thank you. And Will, what about the minimum wage, asks Nuala in County Leash. No mention of it in the papers, Nuala. Now, that's not to say it won't be included in the budget speech, but there hasn't been any leaking to that effect, and I'm sure if it was on the agenda, you would have heard by now. But, hey, we'll watch that space. Nothing is announced until it's announced. They're all smiles on the front of the Irish Independent this morning. Ministers Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue sitting side by side in the Department of Finance ahead of Budget 2022. Will you be all smiles once the detail is finally announced? Well, I suppose it depends whether you're in receipt of social welfare, whether you're a student or whether maybe you're an ordinary worker. Sean Defoe is our political correspondent. A lot of detail leaked already, Sean. Let's start with workers. What's in it for the average guy or gal? Good morning. 
Uh, morning to you, uh, Will. It, it does depend on what you're earning, I suppose. If you are in the higher rate of tax, then you are going to be slightly better off after this budget because the big tax measure, and indeed it's going to cost somewhere in the region of 430 to 450 of the 500 million euros set aside for tax measures, is the indexing of tax bans. And what that means is that the point at which you pay the higher rate of income tax is going to be raised from the current 35,300 to 36,800. And what in reality that means is that if you are on the higher rate of tax, so if you're earning in say, 40 grand a year, it'll probably be worth about eight euro a week uh, into your pocket at the end of it. And after that, in terms of the individual worker uh, or the, the broad cross society measures, uh, there's not a huge amount. They're, they're much more targeted uh, and lots of bits in there they are actually going to, to cost you as well, particularly when it comes to fuel. Well, social welfare is perhaps going to take the longest conversation. So where do we begin? Good question. Social welfare is going to be a huge budget. It's even bigger than we thought it was going to be. There's a 350 million euro package just to ensure a five euro across the board increase in weekly core social welfare rates. And that includes the state pension, which is going to rise by five euro. And then there's some more targeted rates. And this is a little bit of a break from what's been done in recent years. Usually you get one or the other in a budget. Either there's a kind of cross the board fiver or there are targeted rates as they've done the last two years. This year there's both. So some of the targeted rates include uh, 10 euro on the back to school allowance. It includes changes to the eligibility for the carers allowance, which should bring thousands more uh, hidden carers, if you like, as the way to describe them, people who missed out on eligibility despite being full-time carers into the nest to to claim. And that sort of payment, there's going to be a three euro rise in the living alone allowance. And the fuel allowance is going to be a big one as well. That's the, the time period of it beyond 28 weeks isn't going to be extended although the government does say it keeps open that option if we get to the end of the payment in sort of end of March, start of April, and it happens to be a particularly cold spring. They can opt to extend it, but haven't included it as a base. It's going to be a five euro a week for everyone else, rising from €28 euro to €33 euro per week. And the eligibility is going to be expanded as well, which should bring thousands more people into the net of the fuel allowance. So uh, overall, what you're going to see in the social welfare, I think, is, is a little for a lot of people in terms of the fiver across the board. And then to sort of quench that argument that will no doubt come from the opposition that sure what good is a fiver a week to to most people the government is saying well if you take those who are most at risk those who are going to claim the state pension and the living alone allowance and and, and other payments it could be up to a 13 euro a week that they will be better off so there is a, a quite targeted measures there and some small ones as well there's one that's going to be in there later that was sort of championed by uh, Heather Humphreys that is small in financial terms but could be big on personal impact in that there will be a new grant for people who lose their hair so people who have gone through cancer treatment mm. or perhaps have alopecia and are trying to meet what is actually quite a big posture to buy a wig I know it's something you might think of uh, you know when we're talking about the vast scale of the budget but small little measures like that uh, that will to some people be quite a targeted impact now, much of this was well flagged. There's a story today on the front of the Irish Independent about half price travel for under 24s. What's the thinking there? Yeah, this is an interesting one that sort of came in last minute last night. And so it is going to be for people a, a new leap card, essentially, that will cover both students and then people in that 19 to 24 age bracket who don't benefit of children's rates on public transport. And they will get half off any state backed public transport. So, you know, Bus Aaron, uh, the, the Lewis, the Dart, the intercity trains, uh, all of that. And there's two parts of the thinking. One is that they, you know, these can often be uh, quite expensive and it is a better rate that's done in other cities. The government
government has examined or looked at free public transport for everyone in the past, deems it a bit too expensive. This is a measure that would only cost £25 million in 2022, but it's probably not going to come in until halfway through 2022 as well, so I imagine the full-year cost will be more than that. And part of the thinking as well from Eamon Ryan, who is the Minister in Charge of Transport, of course, is that this will encourage more young people to use public transport and build it as a habit for later life. So that if you get people uh, by having subsidised rates taking public transport when they're younger, they're more likely to keep doing it and not feel the need for a car, at least in areas where public transport is viable enough for you to do that, of course. Well, I'm sure some people will be delighted still being asked for ID at the age of 23. (laughs) Now, all of this has to be paid for, of course. What taxes might we not like? Well, the big one, I suppose, is going to be the carbon tax, isn't it? Because that's what's going to hit us all straight away and that is going to be baked into this budget and probably the next few budgets to come as well. €7 Euro a fifty a tonne, which in reality is going to mean from midnight tonight, the cost of filling a tank of diesel will be about €1.50 Euro more expensive. The cost of uh, filling a tank of petrol is about €1.30 and be about £0.90 cent on a bag of coal and other increases on gas and oil, uh, etc. as well, which, which can be looked up online after the Department of Finance has a, a document. People are wondering what it's going to cost them post-midnight today. So I think that's going to be the biggest one that's out there. Other than that, this budget is quite light on the tax measures. This was something that was fairly well flagged in advance. There is a good bit of borrowing still baked into this budget as they try to phase that out over the next couple of years. But in terms of a, a sort of a new tax The only other one that really stands out is one on a a sort of a vacant site tax that is going to replace the vacant site levy. And this would be on sites where uh, planning permission has been granted and the services, the electricity, water, etc. have been provided. So it's a bit to, I suppose, clamp down on developers who are hoarding land, hoping the prices will go up and give what, what was meant to be done in the vacant sites levy a bit more teeth. It's become a feature of budgets over recent years where they're extensively leaked in advance. Of course, it gives the opposition plenty of time to prepare their criticisms. What are likely to be some of the negatives, if there are any? I think you hear a couple of lines of attack from the opposition. One is going to be the rising cost of living and the cost of fuel and the, what is going on in this budget with the pension increase and with the tax indexation isn't actually addressing that and anything that you make up through those payments you're going to lose in the actual just cost of, of going about your daily business or of heating your home or filling your car uh, or whatever else and so that not enough is being done there. I think you are going to see a lot of criticism of the government's childcare scheme because even though it is going to be uh, unprecedented levels of investment. We're talking about a €100 million Euro package where there is more funding towards the actual cost of childcare, the hourly rate of childcare, and also an agreement with childcare providers to freeze their costs in exchange for a subsidy for wages. You're going to hear the opposition say, well, freezing it is not good enough because this is like a second mortgage for a lot of people, and that the subsidy that they're bringing in is worth only 50 cents an hour to the actual childcare providers. That's not going to have any sort of significant decreasing effects for people who are facing those costs. Now, the government's plan is to ramp that up over the next few years. It's €100 million this year. Speculation, it'll be €200 million Euro next year. And what they freeze in 2022, they will reduce in 2023. But of course, for people who are actually stumping up those very hefty fees at the moment, 2023 feels a long way away. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, thanks for your time. Thanks, Will. Cheers. We will await the official announcement this afternoon from Ministers Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath, but unlikely to be a rabbit pulled out of the hat at this stage. Now, still on the agenda today, the pandemic unemployment payment wrongly claimed in many cases and the uh, Revenue Commissioners and the Department of Social Welfare, they've been looking under stones and asking questions and 
The question that perhaps is most relevant is, will you get your money back? It's taxpayers' money, after all, and if somebody falsely claimed it, what are the procedures and what are the chances of recouping all of it? There's a story I want your opinion on after the news at 10. A social housing charity is defending its decision not to use locally sourced slates from here in the Midlands. Now, it's building right in the heart of the region and instead is building, uh, bringing materials all the way from Spain to use at a project in Tullamore, when in fact some of these materials are right on the doorstep. We'll get into the detail of that a little bit later. Now, last week you heard Father Shea Casey describe how he's gathering unsold food from Tesco to distribute to students in Athlone, that higher rates and higher energy costs and higher food costs and generally a rising cost of living is putting some students to the pin of their collar. Well, a €700,000 fund has been set up to support students at the new Technological University of the Shannon, the bulk of that, by the way, going to the Athlone campus. Now, the Student Resource Centre Manager for TUS is Sarah Lacumber. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. Just tell us what the Student Resource Centre does, first of all. Sure. Um, well, the Student Resource Centre is, like it says on the tin, it's about providing resources to students and it's all about helping them access learning. Um, and remove or assist with barriers that might affect them uh, learning throughout their time in uh, TUS Athlone. So what will you be able to do for them with this extra money? Uh, well, it's fantastic news and it's a continuation of an initiative from last year. So the Student Assistance Fund separately um, is there year on year and the HEA provides that to us to uh, provide additional financial support to qualifying students. Um, who may be in need of it. And that's divided out and means tested across the, the, the applicants. So conditions like, um, are you already in receipt of social welfare? Do you receive a SUSE grant payment? Um, conditions like that need to be met in order to qualify. So there's that piece. And then separately, a new fund last year was around um, mental health um, and well-being. Um, and that's the additional piece that has really made the difference for us in terms of supporting students with mental health issues and ongoing um, issues, I suppose, relating to, uh, you know, the, the, the impact of COVID also. Flesh that out for us. So practically, what will you be able to do now? Well, practically speaking, it will allow us to continue to employ additional resources. So um, we've been able to employ additional student counsellors um, and we're pushing through a major initiative um, that is, has been led from the top by Simon Harris around um, the framework for consent in HEIs. So that's ending sexual harassment in higher education institutions. So we've been running consent training since last year. All first years would have gone through that as part of new student, student induction and then ongoing awareness building um, around consent and ending sexual violence. So that's a major piece of that work as well. One difference this year is students are physically on campus, which they were not for the 2021 right. academic year. So how has that changed the work that you're doing? 
Well, I suppose, it, like the rest of the world, we had to pivot, and that word pivot is used often, but we had to pivot um, when COVID hit to continue to deliver supports to students who were, oh, you know, the need doesn't go away. Um, so we turned to online delivery using video and phone to support students with mental health issues. Um, so that has continued, but what we're seeing now when students are back on site is they really, they really crave that personal contact. You know, they've been doing okay in front of the computer for the last year and a half, but really they need the, the personal contact now. So there's a lot more in-person counselling, a return to that. And um, so there's a huge demand from people and we're seeing unprecedented demand for supports. So we um, have daily walk-in sessions for students who want to just come on the day and then also a booking service. Um, and we like to think we're able to respond quicker than perhaps going through channels externally. Um, and also this fund allows us to provide free of charge counselling to our students and that's really important where the financial um, piece doesn't get in the way of people accessing supports. We've heard from the Students' Union that some landlords, in the absence of students last year, they just let out their properties in the normal rental market. So that reduced mm -hmm. supply and therefore inflated prices this year. So give us a sense of the cost pressures and how real they are, because, again, some people are, are cynical as to whether this is a, a, a real phenomenon. Oh, it's most definitely real, and it's, it, it's all the more real for those who are going through it. I suppose as a context to the profile of students coming to uh, our, our campus here in Athlone as part of TUS, over half of students are grant-assisted, which means that they already qualify under financial, um, for financial reasons for assistance. So that tells you that they're coming from perhaps um, disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds, requiring support. So then the, 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 the issue around finding accommodation and rents going up has put an added burden on people. Now, it's easier financially to come to somewhere like Athlone because obviously the costs are lower than say Dublin but nonetheless the the financial um, burden on, on students is massive and that creates a level of anxiety and stress that they really shouldn't have to feel but you know if you think about it and some people listening might understand there's a there's a a toolkit called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs it's all you know any first year psychology mm. student learns about it and the basic at the most basic and fundamental part for people to, to, to feel well in themselves is to, is to have their, um, their accommodation, their, their home piece sorted, you know, to, to feel sheltered. And when people don't have that and there's, uh, you know, no uncertainty around that, that causes huge stress for students. I imagine it'll be of some comfort to parents to know the resource centre is there for their students. Uh, thank oh, you very much for taking our call, that. Sarah. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Sarah Lacumber is the manager of the Student Resource Centre at TUS. The latest news is on the way at 10, after which those who claimed the pandemic unemployment payment wrongly and knowingly did so, well, the department is interviewing at the moment they're looking to get that money back. What will be the procedure and how rigorously will they chase it? That discussion in 10 minutes. If there's going to be any backlash to this budget, my money is on the cost of fuel because already it is dominating the messages being sent this morning. WhatsApp yours to 083 30 10 103. But here's a selection. Will, in Mullingar last Saturday, diesel was €1.39. Yesterday, it was 1.49. So, yes, 
the price of crude oil is going up. And at the same time, there's going to be an increase in carbon tax. So it's a bit of a double whammy for anybody who needs fuel. And that's most of us, if not all of us. Will green diesel cost 570 euro for a thousand litres three months ago? This morning, it's 850 euro. Wow, that's some increase. 570 for a thousand litres three months ago. Today, 850. And the budget is not yet officially announced. How are we to make a living? Is the question asked here. And from Hilda, she says, crude is traded in dollars and fuel always goes up when the school holidays are upon us. How does the dollar know this, she wonders. Oh, there are commodity traders and big institutions making bets. The demand for fuel is pretty constant over the years, but it goes up and down and up and down, and it's all down to traders. Anyway, let's not dwell on that too much. Still to talk about today. A six-year wait is over for Adele fans. Her new album lands on Friday. Why is a housing charity buying Spanish slate for a Midlands project when a local alternative is on its doorstep. And did you buy a second-hand car last year? If you did, good news for you, but more on that in an hour's time. Now, the pandemic unemployment payment is something that many people relied on and genuinely claimed over the last 18 months. However, 20,000 interviews have been conducted by social welfare inspectors And they have found that quite a number, one in ten pandemic payments were ineligible, were claimed by people who not always knowingly did so wrongly, but in some cases did. And so the question is asked, how will the money be recouped? Well, the person asking that question is independent TD for Kildare South, Cahill Berry. Deputy Berry, good morning. Good morning, Will. So you raised this in the doll. Why, first of all? Well, it was raised by the controller, not her general, the, the week previously. So it's important that we get more more granular detail in relation to what's going on. Um, I should start by saying the pandemic unemployment payment scheme was a fantastic scheme and continues to be a fantastic scheme. It was really instrumental in, in, in beating the virus from a financial point of view and was a lifeline to, to so many people uh, across the country in time of crisis. 91% of, of a sample uh, were, were proven to be completely eligible, but about 9% of people were found to be ineligible for a number of different reasons. And now we have a question mark in relation to how we're going to proceed from, from there on in. Well, those reasons are important because in some cases it may have been a genuine misunderstanding. Can you give us some sense of why they were ineligible? Yeah, so they fell into three different categories, really. About half the ineligible candidates continued to work while drawing the pandemic unemployment as well. Uh, A quarter of the ineligible candidates were living abroad and claiming the pandemic unemployment payment. And the third category were about a quarter of the the candidates as well um, had returned to work uh, while continuing to to draw down the pandemic unemployment payment. So they're the the three broad categories. Um, I guess there's a number of reasons for that. First of all, in defence of the Department of of Social Protection, I mean, they they paid out 500,000 claims in in a three-week period. So they didn't really have the time to do the same level of checks as they would normally do. But secondly, if you remember, the 
the virus waves fluctuated a lot over an 18-month period. So sometimes people were back at work and then a few weeks later they were off work again. So it's just important that those those particular situations are, are regularised now. And I'm reassured to see that while there was 900,000 people originally on the pandemic unemployment payment, there's currently only 100,000. And that number is dropping about 5,000 every single week. So it's a good news at the, at the end of the day as well. Yes, but the taxpayer has spent billions of euro to fund POP payments and if 9%, and presumably it'll be less by the time they wash out the genuine misunderstandings, but if there is even a small percentage of that claimed incorrectly, well, there's a duty to get it back for the taxpayer. So how will that happen? Absolutely, will absolutely, and uh, the Department of Social Protection budget is meant to be exclusively for people in genuine need of assistance from the state. So recouping is very important for people who would have abused the system. The very small number of people who, who would have abused the system, and how it can be done is, is quite easy, really. Uh, first of all, uh, the payments should stop. So about six thousand candidates have already been asked to to show up basically at social welfare offices to confirm that they are in the country and confirm confirmed that they are eligible. So what the department did was they cross-referenced uh, between the revenue uh, data, which shows whether people are working or not, and they cross-referenced and matched that with the Department of Social Protection pandemic unemployment data. So if someone is in receipt of uh, pandemic unemployment payments plus salary at the same time, then obviously there's an issue. And that's why they've been brought in, um, I guess, to answer and clarify the, the particular circumstances that they're in. Could there be a difficulty that some of these people won't have the means to repay? What happens then? Yeah, there could be an issue. The Department of Social Protection are very experienced in this regard. And I know just speaking to my other TD colleagues in Leinster House, of all the government departments, they're quite humane and quite empathetic towards the population because... Uh, really, that's the reason the Department of Social Protection exists. It's there to provide a safety net and, and early when people are going through difficulties. So, good morning. If there's a, a genuine misunderstanding or if people were, were doing things in, in good faith and didn't really understand, um, the Department of Social Protection will be very, very understanding from that perspective. But also rest assured that if there is someone completely playing the system, living in a different country while still working and using you know, false PPS numbers or, or PPS numbers from people who, who were deceased or anything like that, uh, from a fraudulent point of view, they'll be followed up and mechanisms are there basically to make sure that they're, they're held to account in that regard. Yeah, a few people have queried, and I'm not sure they'll like the answer to this, if you are on reduced hours and claim the pandemic payment to top up your salary, that's not allowed, is it? Uh, I don't have the precise details to answer that question, but my understanding is that that should be okay if it's reduced hours. Um, it's only if someone was drawing a, a full salary and, and completely uh, uh, drawing a, a full pandemic unemployment payment as well. That's when there would be a clash and that's when there would be an issue and that's when there would be a refund due. But I suspect there'll be a lot more clarity in the next few weeks uh, when the Department of Social Protection do a full audit. So we've only had a small sample done by the Controller and Auditor General. They did a small sample and that's where they came up with a 91% versus the 9%. But really what uh, the Department of Social Protection needs to do now is do a full audit a full review of all 900,000 claimants and just to get a bit of clarity from that perspective. So, look, in summary, the scheme was excellent, it was very well designed and it was instrumental in beating the virus, but there were some anomalies and we just need to follow up with those anomalies now to make sure that the people who are custodians of the public purse are using the money, the, the Department of Social Protection, the budget, for its intended purpose.
Cahill Berry is an independent TD in Kildare South. Thank you very much for taking our call. Now, still on the agenda. Well, we lighten the mood. Arthur O'Mara is here to give you some autumnal garden ideas from half past ten. Also, minimum unit pricing for alcohol. It was intended to reduce crime related to drink, public order, nuisance, and then at the higher end, the assaults and the attacks that sometimes take place, very unsavoury incidents. But from a study in Scotland, didn't really have that effect. Has it had any impact here? We'll be looking into that. And, well, I suppose it's been quite a while since we've had crowds on the streets in the Midlands and the nightclubs have yet to reopen. But it's food for thought as we approach the 22nd of October. And also, if you bought a second-hand car within the last year, well, you should have a reason to smile, which I'll share with you in about an hour's time. The Criminal Assets Bureau is being told to zone in on rural crime. These comments were made at the Joint Policing Committee in Westmeath yesterday, in which Fine Gael Councillor John Dolan asked the Commissioner, Drew Harris, to hit drug dealers in the Midlands where it hurts. In response, Commissioner Harris said CAB is training officers to do more localised investigations. And Midlands 103's Joe Caulfield asked Councillor Dolan if he was happy with the response from the Commissioner. I was. I suppose, um, in fairness, yeah, you probably have to have a, a national role, but I was happy that I think it's a new development that we will have uh, a person that is um, well aware of what CAB do, that he is with, with the central CAB team. I understand it's probably not practical to have a whole CAB team uh, located in Athlone or in the, in, the, in, the, in the Midland area, but uh, I would hope that uh, we could liaise with, with that uh, with that. Person person and maybe that would be known to, to us that we, we could liaise with them because there is there is a problem with, with um, people that have wealth and that uh, are probably involved in, in illicit um, um, crime and uh, I think it, it just I think that's the best way to deal with it because the best way to deal with it is, is to hit them where it hurts in, in, with their, with their, with their, with their uh, source of income. Absolutely and just on the CCTV for the new Greenway how important is that in preventing crime on the Greenway when it opens? Oh, it is. It's very important. This has been brought up to me by a number of, of people and I actually brought a motion before the council to look for the council to do it because it's a council that, that developed the Greenway. And I know that all the infrastructure is in, uh, is left in, all the, the piping is left in to run uh, the cables. It's there. But uh, for GDPR, GDPR reasons, uh, the council can't do it. It would be a guard a guard a um, matter to deal with and I actually I was delighted with his answer in that he was more than open to looking at it uh, and I think I will take that further now uh, because uh, I think we need to engage with the council If even if the council do install it uh, for the Gardaí uh, I think we will go that way but GDPR is, is the reason why the council can't deal with that themselves so it is a Gardaí matter to do it. We already have uh, CCTV in the town of Athlone already so it's really only an extension of that. I think it would actually aim the Gardaí in their prevention of crime and that's where I'm coming from is not to monitor how many people are walking on the green road that we know that but I think uh, it's, it is being used unfortunately as a route to both uh, move drugs and deal with drugs and uh, for burglaries so I think that's where I'm coming from.
Now, speaking after the meeting in Westmeath, briefly, this is what the Commissioner had to say about the resources he will deploy locally to combat crime. And they will have access then to specialist investigative services. That'll include drugs, but it'll also include things like fraud, but also then protective services. So a lot of this is actually about our core business and making sure that we are properly placed to take on what, what people are concerned about in terms of the crime that's happening. Guard the Commissioner Drew Harris speaking with Midlands 103's Joe Caulfield yesterday. Here's an unusual story from Midlands103.com today. The Oakley Housing Association is a charity and, like many others, it's trying to tackle as best it can the plight of those on housing waiting lists and who are trying to get onto the housing ladder. And it is, at the moment, building a project in Tullamore. Now, the land in Clonminch was transferred to Oakley with the agreement of Offaly County Councillors. And in an email to the company last week, Tony McCormack, who is the chairman of the Tullamore Municipal District, he's a Fianna Fáil member of the council, he said it was transferred to them on the understanding that local companies and local tradespeople would be favoured when it came to providing products and services. Makes sense. But he said, it has come to my attention that Spanish slate is to be included on the houses. And he contends this Spanish slate is not only an imported product, but is more expensive than the senior slate manufactured by Condren Concrete Works, which happens to be in Tullamore. And he described the decision to use this imported product instead of the Condren senior slate as an affront to councillors and to the Tullamore business community. And he finds it very peculiar that Oakley would do this in relation to using local products and tradespeople when it would have amounted, in his opinion, to a saving for them. And he said, should a further development from Oakley come in front of me as a councillor, I will take this into consideration. Now, we contacted Oakley and asked them if they would provide a spokesperson to explain their rationale. Maybe there's a very good reason. Uh, We're told, unfortunately, due to workload pressures, they don't have anybody who can talk to you this morning. However, they did give us a statement to say they pride themselves on their reputation and track record of using local materials. The scheme at Clonminch had been approved by Offaly County Council planners and that to change the design of any scheme once approved would be far-reaching when it comes to cost and timing and contractual obligations. It doesn't really answer the question. Why did they put Spanish slate in instead of a locally sourced alternative? So we don't have that answer. What do you make of that? Now, are there other examples where this has happened around the Midlands? 083 30 10 103 on text and on WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And by the way, you'll get more details on midlands103.com. Still on the agenda, never let it be said you only hear one side of the story here. After much complaint about the ambulance service some weeks ago, one listener wants to give them some fulsome praise in her hour of need. 
Now, Arthur is here from O'Mara's Garden Pavilion. It is uh, starting to feel a little nippier than we've been used to. Good morning. Ah, uh, no. Well, you were away on holidays, of course. But I believe you were in Italy not so long ago as well. <laughs> that was work. I had to go. I, I was thinking. I was coming up with ideas. <laughs> that, that was work. Yesterday. yesterday was abs- the last fortnight has been glorious and September wasn't bad now no doubt about it daytime very pleasant but first thing Just in the morning it's quite cool be, I'm reading a very good book at the moment called The Shoemaker's Daughter very interesting book it goes through a family from early Russian you know 1917 up to the present day and it goes through the family and it has Irish connections it's called The Shoemaker's Daughter it's a fantastic book but they were banned to Siberia at one stage. It is now freezing in Siberia and snowing as we speak. <laughs> I'm not trying to suggest for a moment that we have it hard. We have a fantastic climate. It's not the Baltic, I grant you. But my where I'm going with this, fig trees in Ireland, he's brought one here and he's going to try and convince us this is going to thrive. Really? No, you can... Fig trees my boy, have been grown in Ireland for quite a while. Just that uh, you probably don't see them. Now, they're not grown wild, right? Wouldn't it be great if they were grown wild, lovely fig trees? <laughs> but uh, you can grow them in Ireland. You need to pick a reasonably sunny spot for the... F- they'll grow no matter where you plant them, but they won't produce nice, tasty fruit unless they're in a very sunny position. And then you can grow fig trees in Ireland. You can grow them in a large container. Actually, it is actually better to grow them in a container. Normally, I would say to people, it's much easier to grow plants in the ground Mm. than it is in containers. But figs are one of the exceptions. And they, they like that dryness and keeping them from growing too much. And therefore, they produce more fruit. And you do need to put them in a reasonably sheltered spot and where they get a sun as much as possible when we have sunshine. And and you need to choose a hardy variety. And the variety called brown turkey is probably the one that would be most available. And then you can have the most beautiful plant in your garden that produces... And it's a, it will be a talking point. Oh, absolutely a talking rolls, point, yes. You get, you get some figs, <laughs> and they are seriously tasty. If you've ever eaten fresh figs, they are lovely. How much heartache will it bring you? Is it fussy? Is it high maintenance? No, it likes no maintenance. It likes to dry out a little bit. You plant it in a pot half full of rubble so that it gets dried out a little bit. Happy days. It's my kind of plant. Fire and forget. Okay. Now, let's move on to something I think is more achievable for me, at least. He has brought in bulbs... But these are kind of bulbs for people who might not be fully colour-coordinated or just don't want the hassle. Yeah, well, I just brought those in. uh, Something different, something new. This is the traditional time of year for planting bulbs, your snowdrops and daffodils and tulips and so on and so forth. And there are so many varieties. And when you go to the garden centre, you you can get... You know, if you're... You haven't given up the day job and taken up gardening full-time... And you go in and there's a wall of bulbs and they all look the same. And, but they're not all the same. They all grow different heights. They all flower at different times. And you know when you see a magazine and they have this lovely display of bulbs and they all flower together yes, and they give yes. a lovely colour. Assembled by a professional. Yes, and they're assembled by a professional. And 
you don't have time, you don't have interest, uh, you don't have enough knowledge, and you just get a few bulbs and you go home. Well, now you can go to a garden centre and, and some smart person has put the package together for you. You can buy a packet of bulbs that maybe has a pink team. So you'll get maybe three or four different types of bulbs in it. There can be snowdrops in it, there can be, well not snowdrops, there can be crocuses in it, there can be irises in it, there can be tulips in it and there can be daffodils in it uh, or so on. There's so many bulbs you can plant. And they're already in the packet giving you a continue when you put them into the garden or you put them into a container which is even better uh, you get when they flower you get a lovely mix of colours and they'll, they'll, they'll flower together and they complement one another so they're out there and so you're looking for you Taylor's use, bulbs they are combination well, packs company we use Taylor's but there are there are numerous bulb companies uh, Taylor's is just a pretty good company and they, they're probably ahead of the game they, they, they're always looking for something new because that's all they do is bulbs. Sometimes when you see bulbs for sale, that it's only a wholesaler and he'd buy bulbs wherever you can get yeah. them. Uh, What's handy here though, it says in this particular case, flowers, April and June. So you have a succession. April to June, yes, that you have a succession. Otherwise, you know when you, plant, when you plant bulbs and you get a windy day in Ireland in spring and you've planted tall tulips and they last all of four hours. Avoid that by planting later varieties and if you want flower early plant low ones so if you want if you want a tulip for St. Patrick's Day be in flower the middle of March only grow six inches high and you want to put it in your garden or you want to put it into a container there's one called Stressa S-T-R-E-S-S-A easy to remember put that in it'll only grow six inches high and it will be in flower St. Patrick's Day now that that brain is warmed up, can yeah. we get into the questions? Okay. First, from Bernie, who asks, does she need to put any fertiliser around her laurel hedging for the winter? They have been sown for the last two years, grew well over the summer months, but just for a little bit of extra something. The only thing I would put on plants this time of the year is potash. And it and if you if uh, Bernie there there's a whole lot when you put on fertilizer on plants there's a whole load of things in the fertilizer that you buy there'll be nitrogen potash phosphorus whatever and they all do different things nitrogen makes plants grow you don't particularly want to put on nitrogen this time of the year because you make plants grow in this nice weather today but it could get frosty in three weeks time. And if you have plants that have just put on new growth because you gave them fertiliser, it can get damaged. So you're better off not to use nitrogen. But if you use potash, especially for plants like your fig tree or plants that might be a little bit tender. A lot of, nowadays people are planting all sorts of exotic things that may be a little bit tender in the Midlands. If you give them potash... Uh, it's getting on in the year for putting it on because it takes a while for it to be picked up by the plant. But potash strengthens up the timber in plants that makes them more resilient going through the winter. And it also is better that it strengthens up the plant so that next year, when you put on a little bit of nitrogen next spring, the plant is more able to use mm. it. So, so for future reference, when's the best time to do it? A kind of August into maybe September to give it a bit longer to pick up especially for fruit trees because they make their buds for next season the year before but 
it even if you put it on now, it won't go to waste because it's it's potash is not washed out of the soil. It stays in the soil until the plants use it up. So put a little bit of potash on the laurels now and uh, they will be the better for it next season. And for any plant, it goes for any plant. Arthur O'Mara is here from O'Mara's Garden Pavilion. What is your question? Arthur O'Mara is here from O'Mara's Garden Pavilion. We've had a picture of a fairly sick-looking hydrangea sent to us on WhatsApp, and it's turned quite purple in a few areas. Well, pinky and then some dark purple spots. Now, you're near the end of the season for hydrangeas anyway, but that one just looks a little bit rougher than you would like, probably due to the location where it's planted. Hydrangeas are easy to grow, Simple plant to grow, if you put them in the right location. Right. So, what they don't like, because I'm giving you what they do like for years, right? So I give you what they don't like. They don't be. They don't like being planted on the on the edge of a windswept flower bed where they're sitting around in a, a shrub bed, blown in the wind. They don't like. They don't appreciate sun first thing in the morning. Right, and they'll all lead to them not growing very well, spotty leaves, no flowers, you know, go nowhere slowly. So, what they do like, they like reasonably sheltered spot where they're not getting sun first thing in the morning, reasonably good soil, not too sandy and not too dry. A lot of times people put hydrangeas into containers and pots, they'll dry out too quick. And they get spotty, so they'll grow 100% in the garden if you put them into reasonably good soil, a little bit of shelter, especially not getting sun first thing in the morning. Happy days. On the way into Kilbegan from Tullamore, on the left-hand side, just as you go into the village, there is a ginormous hydrangea. You stop to look at it. It's there for years and years and years. It must be five foot high, five foot wide, a million flowers on it. Perfect location, nice and Mm. sheltered, Mm. not getting too much wind, not getting too much sun, in good soil, happy days. I'm sure you've just made somebody's day, their famous hydrangea. Oh yeah, but it's monstrous, lovely. (laughs) Next, Chris is wondering, can you name some of the trees and shrubs that have turned red at the moment? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's some lovely autumn colour. I was coming across the country now, you know, from, from, from Mullingar, and uh, I come across through Durrow there at the hurling pitch, right? On the right-hand side this morning, there's a mountain ash with a billion orange-red berries on it. It looks fantastic. Uh, but there's the Canadian maples are just starting to turn. Beach. Our, our lovely beech trees are just starting to go a little bit goldy looking. But there are so many trees for fantastic autumn colour. The Japanese maples are fan- just starting to colour up lovely. Uh, some of the varieties are spectacular for autumn mm. colour. There's one called Aconitifolium, super plant. Um, Sangokaki. They all have funny names, all these names. Yes, indeed. They're, but... And it's a rubrum, which means red. It's green during the summer. It's a big tree, easy to grow. Uh, it's a rubrum, Jeffers red. Just is green during the summer, no big deal. And just this time of the year, it turns red and purple. 
some fantastic plants. And our spindle tree, which will grow, if you can't grow Japanese maples, you have a real windy garden, sandy soil, where most things won't grow. Plant a spindle tree and it comes into its own this time of the year. It just turns pinky red. Beautiful thing. This is the sweet spot, isn't it? Just before the winter, before oh, they yeah, fall yeah, off yeah, the trees. Yeah. And, well, from now until maybe the end and of the month. anybody with blueberries that has grown blueberries for their fruit, they also have fantastic autumn colour this time of the year. Double barrel question from Tommy. He asks if it's too early to cut back roses and too late to sow lettuce. It's a little early to cut back roses. And I would say roses are still given a little bit of flower. They're not going to get blown around in the wind yet, uh, Tommy. So I would maybe leave them alone for another couple of weeks and then take them back by half. Don't cut them back down to ground level. Now, we're speaking of hybrid trees and flower abundance. We're not talking about shrub and we're not talking about climber because they're pruned slightly differently. But for your regular bedding rows, we'll call them, um, cut them back by half to stop them getting blown around for the winter. And then in late winter, early spring, cut them back to within a foot of the ground. A minute left. Let's see what we can squeeze in. Christmas cactus has looked well for the last few years, but lately the leaves have turned pink and it didn't grow very much. Must be getting like myself, it could be pushing on. <laughs> they get When they get old, the older leaves, because they don't lose those leaves, they can get kind of old looking and a bit of a grey stripe coming on them and they can turn a little bit pinky if they dry out a little bit during the summer. I still think it will flower fantastically, just put up with the older look. Final one, what to do with lupins at the moment? Just watch them for slugs. Slugs can eat them. Maybe take off the old seed heads because they're taking all the benefit of the energy from the plant rather than building up a good plant for next year. So take off the old seed heads, keep an eye on them for slugs. Happy days. All right. And finally, uh, ideas, just a reminder, the fig tree and the combination bulbs does all your garden design for you. Arthur, thank you very much. You're welcome. You'll find him at Omara's Garden Pavilion in Gaybrook in Mullingar. Good morning. Now, still to talk about today, the young boy who doesn't know when he'll be back to class after an E. coli infection. HSE Public Health says he can return, but the school has reservations. His mum is stuck in the middle. Can we get help for her? That's at half eleven. And in defence of the ambulance service, and there were several complaints, and in fairness, not about the staff, but about the resources and the sheer numbers and the delays. But when they're in the right place at the right time, we've got a mum who wants to say thank you. Now, did you buy a second-hand car in the last year? Because a new report says if you did, in theory, you could sell it now for a profit. That is how much car prices have increased in the second-hand market over the last 12 months. Let's get a sense of what's driving this, if you'll pardon the pun. Owen Reddy is here from readytodrive.ie. You'll find him in Monaster Evan in County Kildare. Morning, Owen. Uh, Good morning, Will. Good morning to your listeners. Describe what's been happening uh, with second-hand prices. Give us a sense of the models, the years, uh, and which are showing the biggest increases. Well, I suppose uh, everybody would be aware that with Brexit, um, it, it, it almost brought the importing of cars. Uh, it reduced it substantially. You know, we were bringing in on average about 100, 100, 
10,000 cars a year from mainly the UK. And that has pretty much dried up. It's become uneconomical to do it with, with basically four taxes now if you try to import a car. So it just doesn't make it financially viable. Um, and I suppose I, with that market not there, um, the law of supply and demand has kicked in. Um, so suddenly you don't have you don't have a hundred and ten thousand used cars on the market in Ireland. Um, so, um, but as I recall, I many of those cars coming in tended to be more premium models, Mercs, BMWs, Audis. Well, yes, there was a lot of them, will, but there was also a lot of Ford Focuses and Volkswagen Golfs and Hyundai i40s and all that. You know, you know your normal family car. So, you know, it wasn't just Mercs. Yes, of course there was, and there was quite good savings on a, uh, you know, an E-Class or an A6 or a 5 Series, but it, it, it wasn't just that. There was a, a, a bigger, bigger pool of cars coming in. So, how has that translated into prices for second-hand cars here, if you were to look at numbers 12 months ago versus today? Basically, I go back to it again. It's it's what we have is we have a very very high demand for used cars at the moment, um, and most people will be aware it's very difficult at the moment uh, the supply of new cars with the chip not available, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, you, you can't just walk in and just buy a new car off the shelf today. There's massive waiting lists. I mean, I know I was trying to buy. Uh, three Volkswagen Golfs the other day, brand new. Uh, client wanted them immediately. I'm being quoted February, March, and that's not a guarantee. So the problem is you don't have the new cars being sold. Uh, as a result, the trade-ins are not coming into the dealerships. And just so, so we can again, compare, Owen, if you had made that phone call two years ago, how quickly would you get those Golfs? Well, I would have had them the next day, probably. Wow. You know, and is so there any sign of that supply shortage easing? Not in the short term. Definitely not. I mean, they, they can't see anything changing with the UK market, so that's going to create. But with the new cars become more freely available, we'll say from February, March next year on, uh, then yes, you will start seeing a, a better pool of second-hand cars uh, on the market. And again, that will it'll stop the, the sort of... Uh, prices rising it'll start to slow that down as the cars become available but you know they are quoting figures of like 50 percent that's that's not true it's not 50 percent but it certainly is in the area of 10 and 20 percent so in other words if you bought a second-hand car last year you'd normally expect depreciation you'd yeah. add mileage and wear and tear and so on and it would lose value could you Correct. perhaps make a profit is that true it is possible, yes. If you had gone out, we'll say, a year ago, a year and a half ago and bought, be it a Ford Focus or a, a, a whatever, you know, a Golf, whatever, we called it a good brands, and, you know, the car was kept in nice condition, it would be very possible that you would make a profit on that car today if you decided to, to go back to the market with it. Absolutely. And again, there is a strong demand out there for for. for you know, quality cars. Now, what hasn't really gone up in prices, we'll say older cars. You know, when you go back into the older, cheaper type cars, they really haven't gone up. Something that's a thousand euro or fifteen hundred, they haven't. It's more vehicles that are like six, seven, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen grand. Right. So, in practice, I suppose cars from recent years 
as opposed to cars from 10 plus years ago, they're Absolutely, the ones seeing yeah. the increase. Yeah, no, they're, they're still, they're somewhat stagnant, you know. I mean, if you have, we'll say, an 07 or an 08 or something like that, the biggest problem well, as well, of course, with that type of uh, car is the insurance companies now are adding that little bit more onto your premium if your car is kind of over 11 or 12 years old. And that does have a bearing, and we see it all the time, you know. person that come in and buy something five or six years newer, and next thing they're telling us, oh, my insurance went down €300. Euro. We used to see trends in favour of diesel or in favour of SUVs over saloons. Are people still picky, or is it now basically a seller's market? Yeah. Well, yes, to a degree, it is a seller's market. But, you know, if you went back, um, we'll say maybe eight, ten years ago, and I remember it myself, if you had a petrol car, it was almost really difficult to sell it. Uh, Today, petrol is way more acceptable um, and doesn't suffer. One time, diesel had the premium resale value and the petrol was just plummeting in value and that's most certainly not the case today in fact there's a lot of people opting back to petrol um especially if they're in a city and that you know because um if you have a diesel car and you're doing two miles down to work and two miles back it is certainly causing problems with the more modern cars now you know Mike in Athlone recalls back in the 90s there was a huge influx of Japanese used car imports yeah. And he's wondering, does that still happen? Uh, there is a move back towards uh, importing uh, vehicles from Japan. And again, we did look at it. Um, I personally don't see great value there. And there are certain specs that are just, you know, you're bringing in something that it was never available here. And I would just personally have issues with uh parts availabilities mm. of, of certain models and I just wouldn't want to bring in something that just might have a different spec and if there was an issue uh, you might not be able if the car was in an accident or something the people would not be able to get parts so we've shied away from that now We've, but you are right they are bringing them in I don't think they represent great value but that's just my opinion Yeah, I'm just looking at some figures here uh, imports of Japanese cars, 3,200 vehicles in 2019, 6,000 so far in 2021, and we're only in October. So, yeah, there is a, a trend in that direction, but that number is still relatively small given the overall market. How do you yeah. see this playing out, Owen, if you gaze into that crystal ball? Um, I think the, the cars are going to continue to be scarce. I, I think probably for the next certainly nine months and I think when the new cars become available as I I believe they will become more freely available from kind of March of next year on um, and then the market will be much more spread out next year as opposed to we'll say loads of new cars in January but, uh, I think it will ease I don't think we'll see this this continuing um, appreciation in the value of second-hand cars I think it will start slowing down but certainly it's going to take about nine months to, to get to that one final question just landed in from a listener. Do you think it's a good idea to change from diesel to hybrid given today's climate? That's from Kieran and Moat. Uh, really, I suppose it comes down to the, 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 the personal usage of the car. Uh, we'd always say to people, look, let's have a look at what you're doing. And if somebody says, you know, I'm driving from Monaster Evan to Limerick five days a week, 
then I would be sort of advocating stick with diesel. But if somebody says, you know, I, I live in Dublin and I only do a small mileage per year, then certainly I would look at alternatives then. Owen Reddy, grateful for your time. Thank you. Readytodrive.ie is his website or you'll meet him in the flesh in Monaster Evan. Now, 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. Coming back to that story on midlands103.com about the Oakley housing development in Tullamore where they're going to use Spanish imported slate on the buildings and the Cahirloch of the Municipal District Councillor Tony McCormack, he wrote to them asking, why aren't you using the locally sourced Condren slate? And the caller says, well, I would safely imagine it was passed by the council ages ago. All the plans and materials would have been submitted. So why is the council acting up now? Well, indeed, that point was made by the Oakley Housing Association in its statement. The council planners accepted the specifications submitted, which included the Spanish slates. Uh, Tony McCormick is a member of the council. He's a public representative and he's asking, well, why did you put it on there in the first place? Because the land was transferred to the Housing Association on the understanding they would favour local suppliers and local workers. Anyway, more on that when we get it. Now, on the budget, good point made here about fuel allowance by Anna in Moat. So, will you get the increased fuel allowance immediately? Because once the carbon tax kicks in, and that will be from midnight, then heating your home will be more expensive. So, will the two be timed together? Or will the fuel allowance increase when all the other social welfare payments rise in the new year. That's a fantastic one. We'll watch for that in the budget statement this afternoon. Also, in a few minutes' time, the young boy who doesn't know when he'll be back to class. If you were listening yesterday, his mum described how he has an E. coli infection. Now, he's no longer contagious, provided he washes his hands after going to the toilet, so public health says he can return, but the school has reservations. So can we get some help for his mum? That's in ten minutes. Now, Quite a few calls in the last week, uh, in the last few weeks rather, about the ambulance service. You may recall the incident in Port Leash, a player injured on the pitch and unfortunately no ambulance nearby, obviously dealing with other priority cases. Well, let's shine a spotlight on a job well done when we hear of it. Patricia is in Tullamore. Morning, Patricia. Morning, Will. Tell us what happened in your situation. Well, um, you know, there was a tackle in a match and my son got injured and um, he needed an ambulance. So um, my first thought was of your programme, Will, and uh, I was thinking, should I bring it myself or should I wait? But as time went on, as in minutes, the ambulance was there. And he was brought into the ambulance, um, you know, obviously taken care of mm-hmm. uh, by the staff of of the um, pitch as well. Um, we were brought into the ambulance. Everything was brilliant. They, everyone looked after him so well and so quickly. How badly hurt was he? Um, broken leg. Um, kind of a, a little bit messy. Um, he had surgery on Sunday, and um, even the staff of the hospital, the staff of the rugby club, the staff of the ambulance, staff of the hospital was just 
couldn't be any better. I recall my dad broke his hip earlier in the year as well. Tullamore Hospital, the orthopaedic department, they are first class and I'm sure he was in great hands. How's he doing now? He's brilliant. He actually wanted to... He, I brought him home yesterday morning. He wanted to call to the school on the way home. So we've um, come to an agreement. He, he can go back tomorrow. <laughs> He'll have a boot on for six to eight weeks. Already he's talked about going up to the training grounds this evening and uh, to support the lads in a match on Saturday. Oh, bless his energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I just really want to outline the amazing work by the ambulance guys um, on, sat- on Saturday, really. I think, to be fair, even when we had those other calls, everybody involved was at pains to praise the staff. It was more a question yeah. of resources and availability. So I know you weren't watching the clock exactly. If you were to guess how long he was waiting... I wasn't watching the clock exactly, but these situations feel like a long time, but it actually didn't even feel like a long time. One guy said the ambulance is in Kilcormock, and another guy not long after that said they're coming into the yard. Well, they responded in a very satisfactory way, and I'm sure, look, it'll give them a good morale boost to hear a thank you and to hear a good news story about the service. So, Patricia, I appreciate your call today. Okay, thank you, Will. And best wishes to your son. Hope he makes a steady recovery. That's Patricia in Tullamore. And again, let's always highlight the good as well as where perhaps we fall short from time to time. 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp. If you wish to do so, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Question about the budget from a listener wondering if there will be the tourism proposal as was previously there where you went and you spent in Ireland and you submitted your receipts to the revenue commissioners. Brenda is wondering if that is coming back. I think it was called stay and spend, Brenda. And then after Christmas it quickly turned into go home and stay home because of the rising number of Covid cases. There haven't been any kites flown about it. I haven't heard mention of it, but we will wait and go for sure when Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath, the two ministers, deliver the budget this afternoon. But don't hold your breath on that particular one, I would suggest. But speaking of staying and spending, if you fancy a break here in Ireland between now and the end of the year, a little bit of escapism, well, some good ideas on the way in around 15 minutes just to take you out of reality and, well, get away from it all. You might remember yesterday the story of a Midlands child facing an indefinite period out of school after contracting E. coli. Now, he's a primary student who hasn't been to class since being diagnosed six weeks ago. His mum has been assured by HSE Public Health that he is no longer infectious So, provided he washes his hands carefully after going to the toilet, there shouldn't be a problem. But the school is still concerned because the bacteria remains in his system. Now, Amanda, his mum, told us she therefore doesn't know for how long he will be out. This type of E. coli that my little boy has can remain in his system for another six weeks, another six months, another year... And that's why his stool is monitored. It is monitored so public health will know when it's completely out of the system. But, like, I'm going to be facing it every week now 
waiting to hear is he fully clear and this could obviously run on until the new year. So everybody's in a difficult place. Amanda obviously concerned for her son and his education at the school, concerned for the welfare of other students and trying to avoid the spread of infection. Let's get to the point of view of independent TD for Lee Shoffley, Carl Nolan, not just because she's a member of the Oireachtas, but also because she has been there, done that as a school principal. Carl Nolan, good morning. Good morning. What insight can you give us into a situation like this and how you would handle it? Well, look, in a situation like this, firstly, you need collaboration, you need discussion and you need a plan drawn up. And I think it strikes me here that, you know, there hasn't been enough communication here and there's not obviously consensus among everybody. It's my understanding that in this situation, public health has cleared the child to return to school. But what is needed is a plan of action in terms of ensuring that hand hygiene, obviously, with this little boy, is a priority, is planned for and is monitored. And that seems to be the, the missing piece in the jigsaw, I feel. From listening uh, to the interview and certainly you know, in my own experience, I feel that you know everybody needs to come together. The plan needs to be drawn up. There should be everything done possible um, in this circumstance to plan for these type of situations and to allow for a situation where you have a little boy who has this uh, problem um, at the moment. It may last for weeks or months, but not clear, I'm not sure. But it is being monitored, it is in hand, and it's also my understanding that public health has cleared the child to go back to school. And given, you know, that education is so important and that if children miss any length of time in school, particularly if they have special needs, it can impact greatly on them in terms of their attainments and their educational well-being. Yes. Amanda so did say her little boy has special needs, all right, and then she also pointed yes. to the time he has already missed, as many students have missed Absolutely. because of COVID-19. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in your experience, have you had to deal with, not necessarily E. coli, but a, an infectious student while uh, working in a school? Yes, I have, Will. Um, what happened was I, as principal, worked uh, with, with everybody, the parents, the board of management and the HSC. At the time, uh, we didn't have public health set up uh, to deal with emergencies, though it's many years ago. But we handled the situation well. The child was well enough to come back to school after six weeks. Now, just to point out, it wasn't E. coli. It was another infectious uh, problem the child had but there was a plan drawn up and there was constant collaboration and I feel that that's the key here and I do understand that there are concerns but I, I do feel communication is key and also the drawing up of a plan that it may be possible and I don't know the circumstances of the school but it may be possible maybe to have an SNA help out in this situation which may only be for a few weeks but then the worst side of it is looking at it negatively it could go on here which is really a short term plan could be drawn up and that the child should be facilitated because we know that in education and in our uh, you know in terms of our curriculum the child central and the child's education is paramount so that's what I would be putting first and I would be tracking through the problem and drawing up a plan and an, that's the way I would have proceeded. it. An SNA is a special needs assistant and presumably they're already assigned is it possible to draft one in how difficult is that? Well, certainly they could make an application under the exceptional, um, exceptional circumstances here. That application could be made to the department. But if that didn't happen, and, and it wouldn't happen quickly, and, and that's you know another issue um, because you have a process involved in that. But if, if 
surely there may be some way of, of having somebody in a temporary uh, capacity um, because it's only, look, it's only, the child is five years old, so they're only in school um, for a short part of the day, I'm assuming, if the child is a senior infant or a junior infant. So it's only a short part of the day. It's a shorter day than, than other children. So I feel that there could be some um, facilitation of this. I don't know the circumstances of the school. Maybe the school has their SNA um, allocation cut. I'm not sure. Yes. But maybe if a plan was drawn up, surely um, some, some, something could be put in place. But I think in the meantime that the child should not be missing out on, on education. There has to be some uh, facilitation of the child. And I feel that maybe if the school cannot, for whatever reason, take the child back, then home tuition should kick in immediately. The line is a little bit poor. Briefly, how does a parent apply for home tuition? It's applied for through the Department of Education and it would be only done in exceptional circumstances. Uh, so it, it would be difficult enough uh, to secure and it could take a number of weeks. But the department are very good and they are very supportive in these types of situations. So that may be, um, that may be an option for the parent if you know, if, if everybody sat down and a plan could be agreed or they couldn't reach an agreement um, with the school and the public health as well, that might be the only option. And it, the department, as I say, would be very helpful and would be very supportive in circumstances. Carl Nolan, grateful for your insight, as I'm sure Amanda is too. Thank you very much for taking the call. Very much, Phil. Carl Nolan is an independent TD in Leishoffley. Now, Anne in Tullamore says, Will, as always, it's the management of the ambulance service who are to be held to account, not the poor paramedics. And with all this publicity, they will be feeling very, very bad. It should always be stated when talking about the ambulance service, this is a management issue causing the delays, not the rank and file. And again, to be fair, I think any caller we've had who's highlighted delays, they have been at pains not to point the finger at the paramedics, but just at the number of vehicles on the road or how they're deployed or how it's generally uh, resourced. And Patricia, again, if you're listening, thanks for that call earlier to shine a positive spotlight on a job well done in, in this case, the Tullamore area. Now, a little bit later, getting away from it all would be nice to just have a break, maybe to Belfast, maybe to Dublin. And dare I say it, after so long since we've had a good proper party and the Christmas season is on the way. What are your plans? What can you look forward to? Hope you're feeling energetic because the Lochbora Running Group is holding a 10-kilometre run. Now, you've nearly a month to train for this. So it's on Sunday, the 7th of November, 11 o'clock that morning in Lochbora Discovery Park, and they will welcome all runners and joggers. You can register online at myrunresults.com. Prizes for the winners. Spot prizes are available too. It's AAI approved, and it's a fast, flat course, chip-timed, and refreshments will be served afterwards. In the Bura Inn, it's €20, Euro, by the way, to register at myrunresults.com. Oh, it's a great course. If you enjoy running, 
Lochbora, you've got the scenery, but yet you're away from it all. OK, there'll be a few other runners on this occasion. And it's not undulating up and down and arduous. and It's just beautiful to get out and escape from it all. So 10K, 7th of November. Hope to see you there. Going to sign up myself now in a few minutes' time. But if you're not feeling as energetic and you want maybe to lounge about and relax and just chill out, there's still time to do so for the remainder of the year. Brian Cunningham is here from Midlands 103 Tours. How are you, sir? Good morning, sir. And you're getting very energetic, I see, you know, tightening up and all the rest like that. You're going to be out running, are you? Well, you know, when you've had two weeks off and you've been (laughs) stuffing your face, you kind of have to shed the pounds afterwards, Brian. Well, that's it. You know, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll just put a, we'll, we'll sponsor you on that as well. Well, you know, to make sure that you do do it. You know. Well, I'll hold you to that. Now, <laughs> that's it. Can you tempt us and tantalise us? Where are we off to? We have loads of lovely surprises for you today, and of course, the big one we're talking about today is the the Midlands One Hundred and Three Christmas Hooli, and we're going to the four star exclusive hotel Kilkenny in Kilkenny. Uh, we are going from the 29th of November to the 2nd of December and of course it's going to be four days, three nights and we have a star-studded lineup. We have Robert Mizell, we have Philomena Begley, we have Donna Kerwin, Cathy Durkin, Mary Byrne, Louise Morrissey. We have loads of surprises. We have day excursions as well. So we have the Kilkenny Castle. We're going to all different places around Kilkenny as well. There's loads of surprises and of course that is going to be four days, three nights. Now the only thing will is since we've announced this last week, we only announced it last week uh, because uh, our Christmas Hooli and Killarney is completely sold out. Uh, the phones have not stopped, and I know Katrina and Orla and all the girls there are very busy taking calls with bookings for that. Uh, four-day, three-night package to Hotel Kilkenny. It's the 29th of November to the 2nd of December. And loads of people want to go on it. What we're saying to people is get your place secured uh, and get booking with Katrina and Orla today uh, if you are looking to do that. As well as that... Just, just, Brian, on... just on that, fingers crossed on COVID numbers and restrictions going yes. to plan. What will the experience be like once we cross that boundary of the 22nd of October? Well, we, we've got some some indications from government at this stage that we are going to be allowed to have our cabaret shows. We're going to be allowed to have some dancing at long last. We're very excited about that. Again, reminding all of our customers that we're only taking fully vaccinated parties at this stage. Um, and basically, we are being advised that it's going to be... We're bringing, as I like to say, we're bringing Midlands 103 is bringing the, the crack back to Christmas this year because it, it was has been so... It has been so, um, it has been so, you know, it's been, everyone's had a really dull time. They've had a hard time over the last, over the last number of uh, years, you know, and, and Christmas just wasn't the same. And, you know, people didn't see their loved ones. People didn't have the bit of crack and banter at Christmas. So we're really looking forward to this four day and three nights in um, in the Hotel Kilkenny. It's a beautiful hotel. We're going to have Christmas Christmas banquets, so it is. It's going to be all done up with uh, Christmas trees and, you know, all the different things. Santa Claus, I believe, is even going to make an appearance at some point. And, uh, of course, uh, there'll be other good crack as well. And there's loads of people going from all over the country we're getting calls from at the minute. And it's really going to be something very, very special. It always is special Christmas time. This year is going to be extra special for so many of us as well. Next on the agenda, Brian. Next on the agenda, we're heading for Belfast and we're doing Belfast uh, from 
Monday the 29th of November to Friday the 3rd of December. So Monday the 29th of November to Friday the 3rd of December. It's five days, it's four nights. It's the Christmas markets in Belfast. If you haven't been to the Christmas markets in Belfast, I highly recommend you do it because this year they're back. They're officially back. We didn't know whether they were going to be back, whether it was happening, whether it wasn't happening. They have announced now it's officially back. And we're really looking forward to that. So it's going to be five days, four nights. You're going to have a dinner, bed and breakfast. You're going to be staying at the four-star exclusive Le Mans Hotel. Uh, just outside Belfast, it is going to be fantastic. You're going to have day excursions as well, obviously to the usual major tourist attractions, the likes of the Giants Causeway, the likes of, of Crumlin Road Jail, which in my opinion is one of the finest tour attractions in the country. Um, you're going to have this, the, the Belfast City Tour. You're also going to have uh, Belfast Castle and all the experience there, the Titanic experience. You know, you can't really go to Belfast now without going to the Titanic experience. Some love it, some don't, you know, but it's 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 a really, it's an attraction that everyone wants to see. And of course, then you have that Belfast Christmas market in Belfast to get you nicely in the form for Christmas as well. And of course, that's five days, four nights, uh, all for an amazing price as well. Uh, next up, we're going to Dublin. We're going to Dublin's first city. And this one, we weren't sure because of the Midlands, the close proximity to the Midlands, whether this was going to go well or whether it wasn't. And surprisingly, it's everyone wants to go for three days. Um, you know, it's a three-day, two-night stay, staying in, in the, the four-star Red Car, Moran's Red Car Hotel. Tom Moran and his team are looking forward to welcoming us there. And, of course, it's going to be taking in uh, some of the, the Christmas atmosphere. So we're going to do some day excursions as well to Parish Court Estate, and we're going to have afternoon tea, would you believe, Will? Oh, you're uh, getting you into the Garden County there, you know. You're out of oh, Dublin. Yes, we're, you're into we're, the, the we're, posh parts. Yes, and then we're going We're going to have afternoon tea. And that's going to be very la-di-da. And, uh, of course, it's going to be good crack as well. We're going to have plenty of... What do you have as afternoon tea, Brian? I've actually never been. And I gather and it's I more will, than I'm just a cup of tea. I'm going to have to bring you for afternoon tea. You know, I'm going to have to bring you for, for afternoon tea, you know, and, and all the rest of that. And then you never know, they might even come with, they might even come with, with something else on top of you it. Get you get crumpets know. and stuff, do you? Oh, yes, and you'll have sandwiches and you'll have nice cakes. More importantly, that's what I like, Will. As you can see from my physique, my body is a temple. And, I, of course, it, it, it's cakes, cakes and more cakes that I like and the mini cakes. I hear uh, another well, candidate for the 10K. Keep going. <laughs> I wouldn't be fit to run 1K, Will, at the minute, Will, let alone 10K. But it's going to be it's going to be good. And listen, Dublin is great. There's a Christmas atmosphere. It's going to be full of Christmas atmosphere. We have lots of different surprises up our sleeves for Christmas. All our trips, we've had these little surprises uh, going on. And of course, our our guests are staying in in Donegal this week. And uh, they they I'm hearing from them that that's all is going great. Thank God. Um, so it's it's going to be uh, Christmas is a very special time of year. We're delighted to put on these tours and. Uh, and I know from speaking to a lot of the, the people that have been on the tours, they've really enjoyed themselves. And listen, you know, we, we want to make sure that people really enjoy this Christmas and uh, hopefully they'll come away and get a little break away as well with us uh, this Christmas before before we run into the main main event itself. Well, more details on Midlands103.com, on Midlands103 Facebook and Instagram. Or you can just pick up that phone and call Katrina and Orla on 0818 Brian, always great chatting. Thanks for a little bit always of escapism. Great. Best of luck. Best of luck with the running. Oh, I'll see you there. <laughs> good luck. Have a good one. Take care. Brian Cunningham, organiser of Midlands 103 Tours. Final thoughts from Tony. We were talking earlier about the child 
who has the E. coli infection, he's a primary school student, has already missed six weeks. And Tony says maybe it would be wise to test all staff and all pupils for E. coli because somebody obviously passed this on. So just to rule out that possibility. Anyway, thank you, Tony, and thank you to all of our callers. Thank you, Sinead and Ellen, for putting it all together. We'll do it tomorrow morning from nine. One more time. Chat to you then.